0: you're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek podcast this episode presented by CMS mission partner Weihan Kwan service we are delighted to have Weihan um, from CMS so do you want to just quickly join me up here for a moment we'd just love to get to know you before you preach to us today so I'm um, Weihan's a good mate of Tim, don't hold it against Tim, but um, so it's great to have you here today. Do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself and your family? Uh, Sure, so I'm Weihan. Um, I'm mates with Tim because we were at Wrigley together many years ago. We we go to the same hairdresser, obviously. (laughs) Um, And I'm married to the most patient person in the world, Valerie is her name, and we have three children. Uh, I'm a bit kind of days because two of my three have now entered the mysterious world of adolescence. So that's the state of life that I'm in. Wonderful. Um, So you work for CMS. Can you tell us a bit about what you do and what gives you passion in in your work? Sure. So uh, CMS is the Church Missionary Society uh, for Anglican Evangelical Churches like St. John's. Uh, We are your supplier of preferred choice, I believe. Um, (laughs) So my role in leading CMS in Victoria uh, involves three basic things. Mobilizing new missionaries, uh, that means talking to people who are interested in or potentially interested in missionary service and encouraging them along the way. Uh, Then sending them, uh, so raising the support necessary, which is prayerful support and financial support. Uh, to do that, and I've just realized Olga's here. Hi. Uh, So Olga's been on our branch candidates committee for a very long time, helping us uh, do that work of selecting and mobilizing our missionaries. Uh, Then we raise support for them, and then when they go, we continue uh, pastorally caring for them. So um, that's the second thing that we do, and the third thing that we do is really we, uh, unlike a lot of other missions agencies, CMS. uh, As many of you will know, we run an annual summer conference. We've got our Northern Territory themed dinner coming up next or this Saturday in six days' time. So we do a lot of mission education around the churches in Victoria, and that's with the aim of raising the profile of mission and. Uh, making the biblical case that God is is indeed a God of mission and it's every Christian's kind of heart to follow after the Lord in um, having a heart for the world. Yeah, so it's a great privilege to do that work. Wonderful, great stuff. So how can we be praying for you in this important work? Uh, It's simultaneously the most exciting and cutting-edge kind of work that I've ever done in, in Christian ministry, but also uh, simultaneously the most challenging. Uh, as you might imagine, when you deploy people in overseas contexts and with everything that's happened in the last three years, um, there's just a huge complexity of issues that you've got to deal with. Uh, so my constant prayer is for wisdom and discernment uh, in the many decisions that we have to make with our personnel day to day, as well as um, deployment to deployment. Yeah. Mm. So love your prayers for that. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. And let's let's be praying and supporting all CMS um, partners, but particularly Wei as we have him today. Um, so we're going to have our Bible reading today on the screen, and he's going to be preaching from Revelation chapter seven. So thank you. Great.
1: Today's reading is from Revelations seven nine through to sixteen. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the poor living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Wonderful. If you've got a Bible in the uh, pew in front of you, let me encourage you to open it to Revelation 7 and keep it there as we work together through the text uh, over the next little while. As we come to God's word, let's pray for God's help. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the freedom we share in this country to meet together like this uh, and to sit under your word, to pray to you, to make our needs known to you, and to uh, receive from you. Please teach us today through your word and your spirit that we might uh, grow our own hearts after yours uh, to see a world that would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, when Tim called me early this week, I think, and said we had a mission speaker pull out, can you come? I know it's really short notice. You're probably on holidays. I thought to myself, you're in big trouble if you work for CMS and you can't pull out a a mission sermon on short notice, aren't you? Uh, So here we are, and this is probably my favorite passage in the entire Bible when it comes to uh, the work of world mission, global mission. Uh, Why is that the case? Why is this passage Wei Han's favorite passage? Well, it's simply this, that this is the end of the story, isn't it? We're in the book of Revelation, which is, as you know, the very last book of the Bible. I don't know what kind of book reader you are, a novel reader. Some people, when they get a novel, they read from page one all the way through to the end, page 365, and you kind of proceed in an orderly forward fashion. Uh, Other people, they read the first page, they read the back cover, then they read the last chapter to see how it ends and whether it's worth reading all the bits in between. Uh, So it really doesn't matter which one you are, Uh, we are, in fact, in the last book of the Bible this morning. And this is the end of the Christian story. And many of you will be familiar with it, but if you're not, uh, come with me now to the text and the end of the Christian story. Uh, It's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to his follower John. And this is what John sees. Uh, In the beginning of chapter 7, if you look down at your text, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7 says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And God gives him this angelic vision. The vision goes on to uh, verse 4. He hears the angel saying, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, that is, the, the number of those of who will be saved, who are called in to God's kingdom for eternity. He hears the number, it's 144,000, and then you scan the text and you see it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000. So up to now, it, it looks like he's seeing some angels and he's hearing a whole bunch of uh, Jewish names. But our reading began at verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was... 144,000 Jewish people? No, that's not what it says. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. A great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, worshipping Him. So, first very simple point is, Uh, Please don't get caught up in end times apocalyptic interpretive uh, debate. It's not as if, you know, the 144,000 has to appear here and then all the nations will be called in there. Uh, The very simple point in Revelation 7 is uh, it's in symbolic language, and what he hears is the full, complete, perfect called in number of God's saved people, but what he sees. What we will see one day is a great multitude beyond counting from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's the end of the Christian story, dear brothers and sisters. One day, in eternity, with the gathered throng from all around the world throughout history, will gather to worship our dear Lord Jesus, of whom we've already been singing this morning. That is not the typical Australian dream, is it? (laughs) Is that the typical Australian dream? I had a bit of a think about this uh, earlier this week. And I considered that the the typical Australian dream today uh, looks something or sounds something like this. And I thought I'd try it on, and you can kind of shake your heads if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I think it sounds like this. It sounds like you work hard in your chosen vocation, uh, you achieve financial security for yourself, and if you have a family, your kids, you know, if you've got kids, you want them to go to good schools, have a good education, not to have, not to have suffering in their lives, to have everything they need. You don't want to be too rich. That's just obscene in Australia. So, you know, but enough to be comfortable. And then you want to save enough so that you have financial security in your retirement. Uh, you don't want to have to rely on a pension, but if you do, that's not a bad thing. But you want to have enough so that When your health fails, or there's a rainy day, or your kids need some help, you can help them. And then you want to have enough that when your health really starts to fail, you can meet your needs and be comfortable all the way out to palliative care and a lovely kind of oak-stained coffin when you go. That's the Australian dream. And then it lights out, and hopefully everyone will come to your funeral and say, he was a good bloke, or she was a good lady. That is not Revelation 7. The Christian dream goes like this. I'm looking forward to the day when I will gather with an innumerable multitude from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, with my friends from Asia and Africa and South America, and together we will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb. And we'll be singing two wonderful songs that mark out the two great themes of our Christian lives. Uh, The first song goes like this. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The first song is the song of salvation. We'll be singing, thank you God that you've saved me in the Lord Jesus. And the second song goes like this, Amen, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. The second song is a song of praise and glory to God who is all-powerful and all-honourable and who has been our God all our lives and will be our God for all eternity. That's the Christian dream. The Christian dream isn't earthly security and lovely family relationships and providing for the people who are closest to us, and then the great extinguishment, Uh, that might be the Australian dream. But the Christian dream is a life that understands we've been saved by the Lord Jesus for purpose, and we get to sing the song of salvation for eternity to Him. And the Christian life is a life that understands that there is a God who made us, who made everything, and who's gifted us with all the stuff that we enjoy and love in this life, but for a purpose, for His praise and glory, for eternity. Now, whether you live the Australian dream or you live the Christian dream, makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It makes a huge difference to the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus for eternity, And it makes a huge difference for how we think about what we do with our lives and what we do with the stuff that God has put in our hands, the relationships, the resources, the time, the passions that we have uh, right here, right now, while the day is called today. Well, um, that's the two songs we see in Revelation 7. Now, please notice... Uh, One of the themes, then, of the Christian dream and the Christian life, the the, the life that's centered around these two songs of salvation and praise and glory to God, uh, comes to us in the next little passage from verse 13. One of the elders asks John, these in white robes, who are they, where did they come from? The ones in white robes surrounding the throne of the Lamb. Now, the elders are asking John, not because they don't know the answer. These are the angelic elders. They're asking John because they want to make sure that John knows the answer. John answers verse 14, Sir, you know. I don't know. You tell me, he says. And the elder says, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those 144,000 that he hears, that great multitude from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, they are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. They've come out of much suffering in the world. And they are the ones who've washed their robes that they're wearing, their symbolic robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, if you're not a Christian, then this is completely bizarre. How do you make something white by washing it in blood? It's actually pretty grisly and gory, isn't it? But this is actually code or Bible symbolic Bible language uh, for these are the ones who come to the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. These are the ones who understand the true meaning of the Lord's Supper or communion that we'll be sharing together this morning. These are the ones who have accepted the the great and glorious truth that because the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, died on a cross and spilled his blood for us, when we come to him and allow ourselves to be washed in his blood, metaphorically, symbolically, we accept his death on our behalf, that is how God forgives all of our sins and our wrongdoings, and that, that is how relationship with God is possible, because Jesus died for us, And God views us through the lens of Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins. We feel no shame before God because Jesus has taken away all our shame. And those who understand this, those who come to Jesus and receive him as the saviour that he is, they are the ones in white robes now. Their robes are white because Jesus has made them white. Jesus has made them worthy, and therefore they stand before him for all eternity, singing those two songs. Jesus, you've saved us, and Lord, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. But please notice, they're the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. Now, what does that mean? That means that in the Christian dream, suffering is inevitable. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, in 2 Timothy, it says all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. There will be suffering in the Christian life. I was reading just a few weeks ago, actually, and uh, I wasn't reading. I was Nobody reads anymore. We just listen to podcasts. So I was hearing on a podcast this observation that all major religions in the world uh, are, can essentially be thought of as explorations of the theme of human suffering. you know, Every major religion that has persisted in the world has to deal with the question of human suffering because it's inevitable, isn't it? You live long enough, you get sick, or someone you know gets sick. Uh, if you have enough people in your life, someone uh, will, will suffer some sort of tragedy. There might be an accident, or someone might lose a job or lose a baby, lose an arm, lose a leg, lose their hair. Smaller tragedy, but, you know, tragedy all the same. And if we live long enough, our bodies decay, and as already has already been said, we end up in a grave. That's just human life. That's just the reality of human existence. And every major religion has to deal with the question of suffering. Why is there suffering in the world and how do I interact with it? How do I think about suffering? If you're Buddhist, you just go, it's karma, it just comes around, just try the best you can and hopefully next time, you know, there'll be less suffering and less suffering and less suffering and that's the way we think about it in the Buddhist world and so forth and so forth. But in the Christian world, in this verse, they are those who've come out of the Great Tribulation. Suffering is pictured as part of the fall, part of this cosmic battle between God and Satan. And all suffering comes as a result of the fall. And how we deal with that as a Christian in our life uh, depends on our understanding of where it comes from and where God sits as the one who helps us and gives us meaning, gives our suffering meaning. That's a really important theme in Scripture. And all I want to say in this chapter is God acknowledges all suffering at the end of the story, doesn't He? He says, all you guys who are gathered here, this great multitude, you've come through the great tribulation and have been found faithful. You've washed yourself in the blood of the Lamb. So you're singing those two songs. But please notice what happens to suffering at the end of the Christian story. We read in this last section from verse 15 onwards. We are the ones who stand before the throne of God. We serve him day and night, he who sits on the temple. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the Christian dream. That's how God redeems suffering. That's how uh, the Christian faith deals with the question of human suffering. It's saying it it is inevitable. It is part of human existence. It is part of the great sadness and brokenness of the fall. But in eternity, God will wipe away every tear. You won't be extinguished you'll be singing glorious songs to the Lord and enjoying communion with Him and your fellow saints for all eternity, all who have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. That's the end of the story. And if God gives you grace to see what a glorious eternity that is, then you kind of work your way backwards, don't you? If you know the end of the story, you work your way backwards and you go, all right, so what for me today? What do I do with my life today, here and now, knowing that that is the eternity that's set before me? Well, there's a clue, of course, in this passage, and it's where we began, that that great multitude isn't just 144,000 Israelites. The great multitude is from all around the world, all around the world, every tribe and tongue and people and language. Now, I want to bring you into something I've been thinking about in the CMS world uh, just, just in this last 12 months or so. In the last 12 months or so, I've been enamoured of the idea uh, that God, in, in His business of bringing together all the people of the world around the throne of the Lamb, uh, he he could do that any way he likes i'm i'm fond of saying you know god doesn't have to use me as a preacher or as a christian minister to to convince people to be christians i don't have to be a great evangelist because god is god he can do any, he can do it any way he likes right if he likes he can send the archangel gabriel to my friend's bedroom tomorrow night and just say hey buddy i'm real please follow jesus and you know what do you think would happen then He doesn't have to use poor old me with my weak words and uh, poor logic and bad communication skills, but he does. Now, come with me back to Genesis uh, 11. Uh, Those of you who are really familiar with your Bible will know that in Genesis 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, let me refresh you with the Tower of Babel. The people uh, then speak one language and they gather together and they say, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered throughout the face of the whole earth. So the people of the world want to make a name for themselves with the technology and the smarts that they have and the coordination that they are able to achieve because they all speak the one language. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower they were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan, nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord, well, so what God is saying here is they are making a name for themselves and they are effectively taking away God's name and God's glory. They are saying, we're really powerful, we're the most powerful beings in this created order, not God. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. They stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is an etymology or a story of origins. You know, It's the Bible's... Story of how we get to have diverse cultures and languages. Where did diverse languages and uh, cultures come from? They came from here. They came from human pride, from our determination to make a name for ourselves, and God said no and scattered us. Uh, That same dynamic happens, actually, if you think about it for half a second in societies all around the world. One group of people want to assert dominance over the other, and they do it culturally and linguistically as well as politically and economically and even militarily. Uh, You only have to read the newspapers to see that process at work, even today. What does God, or what does the Gospel, or what does Jesus do with Babel? Have you ever thought about that? I've been thinking about that the last 12 months or so. Uh, This is what he does. He doesn't extinguish the problem on the cross. He doesn't say, oh, you remember that scene that they they did back then in Genesis 11? Now I've died for it on the cross. Let's just extinguish it and uh, send the archangel Gabriel, make them all speak Hebrew and read the Old Testament in ancient Hebrew and we'll be right. Uh, That is, in fact, what Islam does. Have you ever thought about that? To be a good Muslim, you have to learn Arabic because... Uh, The Qur'an is untranslatable. It must be read only in Arabic. You can only pray to Allah in Arabic. Not so the Christian faith. What God does and what Jesus does in the Gospel is He redeems Babel. He doesn't extinguish it. He doesn't say it was a mistake, let's wipe the slate clean and start again. He redeems it. Because in uh, in Revelation 7, we read the end of the story of Babel, And the end of the story of Babel is a great multitude from every dot, dot, dot language as well. Can you see what the gospel is doing? It's saying this mistake that happened because of human pride, God will redeem and turn into something glorious in the Christian dream for eternity that this marker of our difference and our sin, you know, our different cultures and languages and our inability to get along because of that, now becomes a thing for God's glory, that our languages and cultures all add together to something bigger than the sum of its parts in the eternal praise with those two, to- two songs. Salvation belongs to our God and praise and honor and glory and power to you, Lord. This sort of thing makes me super excited for the work of missions uh, and CMS because this is what we're doing. This is what our missionaries are doing. We are advancing God's project of international, intercultural, multilingual reconciliation and redemption to bring together this great multitude to worship the Lord Jesus, to see how the sum of all our parts as we gather together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, uh, what that looks like. It's a taste of that eternal Christian dream glory that we have. And ours is the privilege of participating in that, uh, in our missions work. Well, I hope I've given you something to talk about over lunch today, at least. Uh, Hope you do that. Uh, What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us uh, as we go from here? Well, at CMS, we've got uh, four great words that you've probably heard many times before. Pray, care, give, go. You know, how, how is the average Christian living in a suburb somewhere in Melbourne, how do we respond to this great big plan of God's? Uh, you can pray with us because all of our missionary endeavour proceeds on our knees, you know. Missionaries aren't super smart, super capable people. Uh, we're just regular Followers of Lord Jesus who've grasped this great dream of the future, of the eternal future with Jesus. And our missionaries need your prayers. Because unless you pray, and in God's uh, incredible grace to us, he chooses to use our weak prayers to advance his kingdom cause. Unless you pray... uh, we have no right at all to expect any real spiritual progress in our work. So thank you for praying, and please keep praying. If you've never prayed for CMS before and your link missionaries, uh, then please, uh, there's a notice board out there, find out who who they are. There'll be information there on how you can sign up to get their prayer points directly into your email addresses, or how you might download them to your smart device, etc. Uh, please do that, and please have a program. Maybe, you know, maybe make Tuesday Tuesday morning uh, missionary prayer morning and pray for your missionaries then. Pray for them every day. Uh, at CMS, we, we do a lot of work in developing resources to help churches pray uh, for our missionaries. We have a prayer diary. You can pray for missionaries every day, uh, every calendar day of every month. Uh, you can sign up for that. Please do, and please pray for our work together. And in so doing, it becomes your part in this great work of achieving the Christian dream. Uh, You can care for our missionaries, and that looks like just letting them know that you exist and that you're writing to them and and reading their news and praying for them. Do you know that our average CMS missionary sends out a prayer letter every month? They have to do that, and it's my job to hassle them if they don't. Uh, which, thankfully, I don't have to do too often. Uh, But the average uh, missionary unit sends that email to about 220 people. You know how many people reply every month on average? Just have a guess. Do you think it's about 10? Just wave at me if you think it's about 10. Yeah, about 10. Yeah, it's about half that number. 220 people, only about five write back every month. So... You can be one of the five or you can help us raise the average. And it's such an encouragement to them when someone writes back and says, I've actually read your prayer points and I've actually prayed for you. Uh, Pray, care, give. Uh, If you've never given financially to the work of Global Mission before, then please let me encourage you to start. And you can start in a small way. In the last couple of months, I've been thinking, you know, maybe we we break it down into coffees. (laughs) If you can give... A CMS missionary, two coffees a week, or one coffee a week? Well, two coffees a week is about 40 bucks a month. One coffee a week is about 20 bucks a month. You can start there and see where it goes. You know That probably won't break most of our banks, uh, but again, it's, it'd be such an encouragement to them to, to them to know that people are not only praying but also committing of the resources that God has put in their hands. Uh, I mentioned before that CMS runs a lot of mission education events. Uh, We've got a dinner next Saturday, which I'm not sure if there are still seats available, but if you'd like to come along, please do. I'm sure there'll be information here at the church or via our website. Uh, But throughout the year, we run events where you can go and hear missionary stories and get more involved in the life of missions. Uh, It might be that you have a passion here for a particular part of the world or a particular uh, religious background group, well, we've we've got a whole range of activities and a whole lot, range of interest groups uh, We've got prayer groups that focus uh, on Indonesia uh, There's one that focuses uh, on the Northern Territory And we, there's another that focuses just on general prayer So, you know, if, you, if you're looking for help and encouragement and assistance uh, Please do get in touch with us uh, if you'd like to be a part of any of those groups And of course uh, pray, care, give, and the last word is go. We're always looking for faithful people who are willing to go. Uh, that might not be you, but it might be someone you know. It might be someone in this church community that you you look at and you think, wow, they they, they really look like or they feel like someone who's really committed to the gospel. Maybe they should think about missionary service well, please may I encourage you to go and have a chat with them and uh, pray for them and encourage them along the way. And as we do, what we're doing then is we're living not the Australian dream, but the Christian dream. And it's a dream that's worth living for in the here and now because it connects the here and now to what we'll be doing in eternity, singing, Salvation Belongs to Our God, and all power and honor and glory and strength be to our Lord forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the great and eternal promises that we have in the Lord Jesus in eternity. Thank you that by your blood we are made clean from our sins and our wrongdoings, And thank you that by your blood, you call us to be brothers and sisters in Christ and workers in your kingdom harvest field. So Lord, please help us to be faithful in praying, caring, giving, and going ourselves or encouraging others to go. Father, in so doing, we long to see the day. We want to work today to see the day when that great multitude will gather around the Lamb's throne of grace from every nation and tribe and people and language. Give us a great desire, Lord, to see that day come. And so we pray that you would strengthen our hands and our hearts for your kingdom's work this day.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.